We are working our way through the book of Leviticus, verse by verse, word by word. And uh, I, I, I can encourage you, for, for those who are just like, man, this is like, th- this is rigorous. Th- th- we, we feel like we are running a marathon. Uh, I feel exactly the same way. Um, and there's five sermons left, right? We're, we're making our way through only five sermons left after today. And uh, then we're going to be moving in March to the book of Romans. And I'm going to be preaching Romans 1 through 5, the first part of the book of Romans uh, as we go from here. So uh, hang in there with us. The, the Romans will mean more with Leviticus as a backdrop. I think especially Romans 1 when you consider where we're heading today. I titled the sermon Holy Relationships, and it's uh, going to be a two-part sermon, uh, part one today and then part two in a couple weeks, where we consider chapter 19. I'm just covering chapter 17, 18, and 20 today. We're going to come back and focus on 19 uh, in a couple weeks. So let's pray as we prepare to hear from the Lord in these ancient words. Lord, we delight in your word. We bless you for giving us your word, for preserving your word, that we have access, free access to your word to study, to learn, to proclaim, to believe, and to practice, and Lord, to take your word. We, we are delighted in the expressions of fruit that come from knowing you and living in these words. Oh, Lord, what we, we feel like trees planted by streams of water, drawing deep from the roots of your word and, and pulling up this life into our soul. We thank you for Sundays when we can gather and, and together share in your word. Lord, we want to hear from you today. We're going to cover some pretty important issues, and uh, certainly defining issues for our day. So equip us, we pray today. Soften hearts, adjust our thinking as needed, and Lord, call us forward into this world to be a light, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Holy relationships. So we're transitioning into the uh, more practical uh, side of Uh, The law as given in Leviticus, we've looked at a lot of the ceremonies and the sacrifices and the the priestly functions. Now this is more moving into how do we live? How do we live as as holy people set apart by God in this world? And these chapters address that. I want to begin in chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, with what I'm calling exclusivity in an inclusive age in an inclusive age. You'll find sermon notes on the back of your bulletin too. You might find that helpful today, especially as there's some things to to fill in that will help you remember as we move through here. Let's begin in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel and say to them, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. If any one of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, that man shall be cut off from among his people. He goes on, This is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices 
that they sacrifice in the open field that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace, offerings to the Lord. And the priest will, uh, shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now here's the key. So they shall no more sacrifice uh, their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. Wow. We'll finish this section. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. And you shall say to them, any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt offering uh, or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. Okay, so the Lord doesn't uh, mince words when he talks about how exclusive his worship is to be. Really, what you have here is you have this, this, this kind of undercover practice of idolatry and pagan worship. So this may play out kind of like this. You're, you're out in a field and you see this guy over there and, and you walk up and he's just sacrificed a lamb or, or an ox or a goat. And you kind of startle him and, and, and you're like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, hey, hey, I, I'm, uh, I'm sacrificing to the Lord here. Uh, nothing, nothing to see here, just sacrificing to the Lord out in the field. When in fact, he is not doing that. He is making a sacrifice to a goat demon. Now, I don't know a lot about the goat demons, but apparently there was a pull, most likely either an echo of the past or something of the, the context of influence that they were in of the surrounding peoples. And this pull was strong. And so the Lord gives provision and says, listen, if you're going to have a bull that's killed or a, uh, any of these uh, uh, domesticated animals that are set apart for sacrificing only to the Lord, then those animals need to be brought to the tent of meeting and offered as peace offerings to the Lord. You can still celebrate and eat the meat, right? He's not saying you can't have the meat, but that blood is to be shed and spilled and offered to the Lord alone, alone. Exclusive worship in an inclusive age. You cannot worship and sacrifice to goat demons and to God. Doesn't work that way. He calls it whoring after the idols and the goat demons. Be faithful to the Lord. Your vow is to Him alone. Your covenant is to Him do not despise the vow. Do not break the vow. Be faithful. Hmm. And so in our day, we come into this, and I sometimes refer to this as the arrogance of evangelism. Have you ever bumped into this? Where you're sharing your faith. You're talking about the exclusivity of Jesus, and it's almost just repulsive to the ears of the modern listener, right? Oh, wow. So you're telling me that, that your truth is the truth and everyone else is wrong you're suggesting that your way is the only way oh dude that is just arrogant that's the height of arrogance what makes you think that you're right and you know and everyone else doesn't you see you see how it sounds 
it, it plays to our cultural sensitivities. And if we're not careful, we'll back up and begin to backpedal and say, well, I mean, I, I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to suggest that, that anyone else is wrong. Friends, we have to be clear on this or we will be extremely ineffective in evangelism. We will fail to proclaim the gospel, which, by the way, is indeed exclusive to the worship of God alone. You could think of it this way. There is such a thing as unloving tolerance. There is such a thing in our day as uncaring coexistence. This is how it would work. Well, listen, I don't want to offend anybody. I, I mean, I, I want to be humble. I don't want to suggest that, that I know more or that I'm somehow you know, better than anyone else. So here's what I'll do. I'll just keep my thing to myself. Like, I, I just, my truth is good for me. And dude, your truth is good for you. I don't want to get in your face. I don't want to confront anybody. I'm just going to do my thing. You guys just do your thing. Do you see how easy that is? Do you see how welcomed that is in our day? How embraced that is? Oh, you know, evangelism? No, that, that doesn't play. Don't tell anybody that they're off base. In fact, much the opposite. Just say, hey, you should season in a little Jesus into your religion soup. He'll sweeten things up just great. But you keep whatever you want in there. I remember coming out of Bible school and being in a small group, and one of the guys in the, in the small group was like, man, I, I, I'm, a, I, I'm into like worshiping creation, and I kind of like the stuff uh, that Buddhism offers, and I'm good with Jesus. I like Jesus as well. I like studying the Bible. He was kind of a, a toss salad of religions, you know? And, and I had a moment where I had to be like, what am I going to say? Am I going to love this man enough to say that's, that's not how it works, man? Like that, that doesn't fly at all with Scripture, with Jesus. It is unloving to say, hey, everybody just believe whatever you want. It's not loving. It's, it's actually hatred. It's a form of hatred. It's unbelievable self-interest rather than interest in the well-being of those who think their form of religion is saving them while they run as hard as possible to the fires of eternal hell. The consequences are too high for us to be unloving in our tolerance. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we can't live in a neighborhood at peace with people who believe differently than us. That, that's not what I'm suggesting. I am suggesting that in our minds, we need to understand those who do not worship in our neighborhoods, who do not worship Jesus, they are perishing in their sins. We have hope. We have words of life. And so it should disturb us. It should move us. It should embolden us in love to engage, to speak up, even to risk offense if need be. Speaking the truth in love. Words of grace. Remembering, listen, the, this, the enemy is not the person. It's the one who blinds the person. Right? They are the one who is the it, It's Satan who is the ultimate enemy. He is our foe. And we seek to rescue those who are lost and perishing. 
So don't buy this, this uh, culturally sold bill of goods that somehow you're arrogant if you claim exclusive salvation in Jesus alone. It's loving and it's true. How does the Bible talk about the gods of the peoples? Listen to this. This, this is God's word. All the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. If you want points of contrast, go to Isaiah. Like He's like, you guys take one end of the, of, of the wood and you cut one end off and, and warm yourself by the fire. You cut another end of the wood off uh, of the log and you form it into an idol and bow down to it. That's silly. It's crazy. No one is saved any other way than through Jesus Christ alone. He is the only hope of salvation. So no, it's not your truth is good for you, my truth is good for me. That's not true. That's, that's relativism. Don't fall for it. Too many churches are going light on this. We have to maintain a strong resolve and conviction. His worship is to be exclusive. And the gospel is an exclusive Savior. I am the way, the way, the truth, and the life. You cannot come to the Father any other way, Jesus says. Hmm. Now, the second half of chapter 17, I think, draws an emphasis once again to the blood. And I've had a few questions come. Pastor, why are we talking so much about blood? Like the, I'm with you, okay? I Trust me, if you know me, you know I am really bad, especially when it, I'm dealing with my own blood. I have passed out many times. I remember I was working with a, a, a knife and I hit my thumb and, and I looked down and I'm like, oh good, it's not bleeding. Then all of a sudden, oh, it is bleeding. And I made it to the top of the stairs and then I was like, and I woke up, I mean, laying on the floor, just passed out. When I'm bleeding, I'm dying. Okay? My life is pouring out of me. That is at least how my brain conceives of it. So I don't, I don't like to talk about blood. I'll be honest. I mean, I'm a pastor's kid. My, you wouldn't believe some of the things that people give to pastors. Right? The one lady in, in our church was like, Pastor, I just had cataract surgery. I got the videotape. Here, watch this. Right? Who, who does that? So here's the pastor's family Sunday afternoon. Dad's like, hey, I got this video from this lady. She said it was pretty fascinating. Pops it in. We're eating lunch. And all of a sudden, you know, and I'm, I'm like on the couch all floppy. And I don't want to talk about blood. Why so much? I mean, you walk in the doors of a church and there are songs we, we sing about blood. We sing about being washed in the blood of the Lamb. Why would we sing about blood? Blood for the Christian is so important. Not just my blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is foreshadowed in these chapters of Leviticus. All of the blood that flows in all of these bloody ceremonies. I mean, there's blood everywhere as they worship Jesus. Animals are bleeding out left and right. Blood is being sprinkled here and thrown here. And, and all of that, friends, 
is to draw our attention to the blood of Jesus Christ, that he shed that precious blood that he shed on the cross as the ransom price for our sins. And so in these verses, I think we see some of these things. Let's, let's dig into these, these next few verses. If anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood, and I will cut him off from among his people. Listen now. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement. I have given blood for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. Wow. You talk about unlock the New Testament. There's a key verse. It is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, neither shall the stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Also, uh, any, all, anyone also of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may uh, be eaten shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Are you catching an emphasis here? Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature. For the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats it, uh, what dies itself or what is torn by the beast whether it is a native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his flesh, he shall bear his iniquity. So now we're not just talking hunting outside of the camp. We're talking you come upon roadkill and it's been a while and, and the blood hasn't drained as it properly should have been. There is uncleanness that is brought upon and ceremonial uncleanness that has to be addressed. If you're hunting and you make a kill, you are to drain the blood outside the camp. So like you're, you kill a deer or something. You drain the blood, and you are aware of that blood, and you pay attention to that blood. And then once it is drained from the animal, you cover that place up with dirt. What does this tell us about God? The creator of all things. The one who invented and wove together and, and created the creatures. It tells us that all of life is sacred. All life, everything that God has made is sacred and it is to be treated with regard. We're not worshiping it, don't get me wrong. We're not bowing to the creation, that's foolish. We are honoring the creator by saying, this is one of your creations. It's got your fingerprints. Look at what you've made here. We don't just go around blasting animals for the fun of it, right? There, there is a regard for this. And so I appreciate hunters who have care and concern as they make a kill. Like they're, they're regarding the life of that animal as one that has been created by God for his glory. Hmm. Not just a comment here. This does not mean in... Uh, post-law days, no temple, no, you know, you can still hunt and kill. You don't have to try to find a, 
the temple and, and, and present that deer or bear to the Lord. You can also order a medium rare steak and not be worried that you're breaking the, the law here. These are old covenant laws. But the principle remains, doesn't it? Blood is sacred. Now listen to Genesis chapter 9. After the flood, as God addresses Noah, listen to the connection here. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Okay, this is a change from Genesis 1 and 2. Now, the fall has taken place, and God says, this is before Israel is called out from the nations. This is just like, there's eight people. And, and he says, everything is food. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is, its blood. Same thing here. Drain the blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. So if a, uh, if a bear comes and kills a man, that bear is to be killed. If a man, for his fellow man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. So this is the roots of capital punishment which I think is right and just in the right circumstances, serves to be a, uh, an encouragement of regard and care for the life of human beings. It's interesting here how you see a heightening in the dealing of human blood. There is a regard that we are to pay. A reckoning is the word. And so it leads us to the sanctity of human life Sunday. And I'm just struck by this. To take a human life is a big deal. To shed blood, the blood of another human being, God says is a huge deal. I mean, we're to regard the blood of animals as sacred. At the same time, human blood, it's like a whole other level. To kill in the name of convenience may be the depths of depravity of our day. Friends, we live in a culture and a context that is hostile to the image of God in man. We live in a utilitarian mindset, a culture that says, listen, if you can't contribute, maybe you should be killed. So speaking of, of, of babies who have disabilities in the womb, do you know that uh, 50% of those who are diagnosed as Down syndrome before birth are aborted? 50% of Down syndrome children are, are killed in the womb. Why is that? Well, how can they contribute? Or the elderly, go to the other end of the scale. How do we deal with those who are aging, who are unable, maybe don't even know who they are anymore? Well, the culture says they're not useful anymore. Just let them die. Kill them. It's not what God says. God is the one who takes life. He does not give that to us. He does not give us that decision. He takes it. And He appoints those human agencies through whom which he operates 
to take it as well. So just war, absolutely. There is a time for just war. There is a place for capital punishment. There is time for these things. However, murder is on a whole other scale. It's something altogether different. Abortion and euthanasia and everything in between. This text calls us, along with many, many other passages, to the sanctity of human life. The image of God that is printed upon every single human being, whether born or yet to be born. Hmm. You see on your sermon notes, FLED, it's a helpful acronym. I'm just walk through this with you, just so we're clear in our minds. We have to stay sharp on this, friends, because if we don't, we'll begin to kind of drift with our culture. Human value and dignity is not determined by, and then SLED is the acronym. First, size. The size of a person is not the basis of determining value or dignity or worth, is it? Little people are not more or less valuable than big people, old or young, right? We don't do that. It's not like you're more valuable if you've been on Weight Watchers for 10 months right, than if you haven't. So why would we ever say that the size of a child in the womb is what determines its worth? Second, level of development. Would we say of first graders, you are less valuable or worthy or uh, esteemed than 10th graders? We would never say that. Your life is worth less because you are less developed. Would we say it? No, we wouldn't say that. Why would we say to those who are handicapped, physically or mentally, your development makes you worth less or more? We should never think this way. That life is made in the image of God. That person has dignity and value. Environment. Does the place in which you live assign to you more dignity and value than another location? If you live in a treehouse, are you worth more than the person that lives in a cave? Then why would we think that the person who lives in the womb is any less valuable or dignified than the person who lives outside of the womb? Environment is not the determining factor of value and dignity and worth as a human being goes. And then this one may be the most important of the four. Dependency. I hear this all the time. Well, that life was not viable. Okay, let's just be real. How many one-year-olds, six-month-olds, right, are viable? Do you see babies trotting around, feeding themselves, and reading the paper. You know, that, that's not realistic. That's just not true. This, this kind of thinking we have to dispense with. A baby is not viable any more after birth than before birth. At the end of the day, he is completely dependent upon his parents to care for him and sustain his life. Sled. We stand for life. We stand for life. 
Don't think this is just some political issue. This is not just some political. This is about the very heart and soul of what it means to be a human. God has assigned special dignity and value to those who carry his image. And friends, there will be a reckoning. Don't you doubt it. For millions upon millions upon millions of lives taken in the name of convenience. Hmm. Now, a word about those who may have this in their story. I just want to be clear. It's likely in a room this big that someone in this room has a past that would involve an abortion. I want you to hear from me now. There is healing and forgiveness for that sin in Jesus Christ. There is a place to go for sinners. All of us in this room are sinners. Various different sins. One solution. Jesus Christ. He shed His blood to atone for all of those sins. And that includes murder. That includes the taking of human life. Praise God for hope and healing in Jesus. So this is the place to be, friends. <laughs> to be clear, this is the place to be for those who have that in their story. You are among friends. We gather together at the foot of the cross and we find forgiveness. Now, chapter 18, God's holy design for the family. We're going to cover these 30 verses. I like how this begins. Um, God sets this up with uh, a few comments at the beginning, and then he just gives like a shotgun blast of truth and clarity for us. So let's look at the, 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 the setup here. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you live. Now, just got to pause here for a second and remember this. 400 years. Just think, 400 years of normal. This is normal. This is what we do. This is Egypt. This is our custom. You can't live for 400 years in Egypt and not absorb some influences some paganism, some totally backwards thinking. And so God is straightening out what has been made crooked through 400 years of uh, their Egypt experience. And he's preparing them for where they are going. So both where you lived and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where you're going to the land which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh. I write the rules for my people. Yours is to follow and obey. I like the, the contrast here. You shall not and you shall. This is helpful. That's law, right? That's, that's how God gives us his commands. Don't do these things. And do these things. It's helpful. God is loving us with these commandments. I go to King David, our call to worship. This is what this is, friends. You make known to me, O Lord, the path of life. The good way to live. The way to walk. In your presence is the fullness of joy. God is not a, a, a divine killjoy. 
He made us. He knows what brings satisfaction and joy to our hearts, right? So he's saying, listen, let me tell you the best strategy for life. Let me give to you what a beautiful experience of family is to be. I'll straighten out what was so crooked in Egypt. And I'll straighten out what is so messed up and, and carnal in Canaan. Come and live and obey me. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You want pleasure, God says? Walk in my way. You'll find pleasure. Oh, the world, that, that's not what the world is offering. You want pleasure? God's in the way. Get God out of the way. All these laws and rules, they're there to restrict your pleasure. God says, it's just the opposite. You want lasting joy, satisfaction, and pleasure? Come and follow me. Come follow me. So let's listen to this litany of commandments here in Exodus 18. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or of your daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is your own nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter brought up in your father's family since she is your sister. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is your father's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother that is, you shall not approach his wife, she is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law, she is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife, it is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter, and you shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives, it is depravity. And you shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness while her sister is still alive. You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanness. And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unclean with her. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations, so that the land became unclean, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. 
For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. These commandments meet us in a context where we live and we are reminded there is nothing new under the sun. I was recalling these verses out of the Gospel of John. The thief, the enemy, the deceiver, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates the family. He wants to truly disrupt the family. He wants to not just disrupt he wants to destroy it, and he wants those in the family dead, especially those who carry the name of Christ. He is indeed a liar and the father of lies. He is an angel of light who masquerades as the satisfaction you've always wanted, the temptation that will truly satisfy that longing. He is a liar. He is the one who promises and never, ever truly delivers. And friends, we live in a culture that, like then, is crazed with sexual perversions. And there are times throughout various cultures where God in His common grace will give restraint to these things. And there are times, friends, where that restraint is released. And it's as if God lifts the brake pedal of a cultural depravity and it reaches new depths. We are watching that unfold. We will, in the next few weeks and months, see a resurgence of depravity. And I pray that God in His grace would put the brakes on and just, just show kindness to our nation because of these things. It's only kindness, right? His judgment rightly falls on our nation, to be clear. He has every right to judge our nation, to punish us for the depravities that have become so widespread, not just the killing of the unborn and the elderly, but calling sin good and righteous, and calling righteousness sin and unacceptable. We live in a world that is riddled with confusion, and in the midst of that, God's word, these ancient words, give clarity. Now, there are many who would look upon this book and say, what in the world could an old book filled with ancient words have anything for us in our day? And behind that is pride. It is the pride that we have progressed. We are so far better than they were back then. Are we? I mean, the question just begs, doesn't it? Are we really progressing? I see it just the opposite. We're digressing. We are not improving our culture by endorsing sins, by having churches pave on issues as clear as day in the Word of God, in the name of love. It's not love, it's hate. It's hate. It's hate speech. Isn't that ironic? 
God lovingly pre- uh, prohibits in these verses, look at the categories. Incest. Sister wives. We saw how that worked with Jacob. What a mess, right? He prohibits this. Whatever causes uncleanness in, in verse 19. He prohibits adultery without mincing his words. Very, very clear. And let's just be honest. I think it's easy to be a little bit more dogmatic about homosexual activity and not as dogmatic about adultery. We should be equally disturbed by the fact that there is adultery in the church. Adultery in all its forms. Pornography is rampant, not just out there, but even here amongst the people who sit in these chairs. How will we respond? Will we believe God's good and precious word? Will we accept his call to come out from that mess? Don't be like the people all around you. Live lives of holiness. We are to be pure in heart and mind and action. We need his help in this, don't we? Child sacrifice is very clearly prohibited. There's all kinds of a depravity that happened with the sacrificing to Molech, both in murder and in uh, uh, basically trafficking of children to all kinds of horrible things that were taking place. God makes it clear that's not going to happen among my people. That should not be happening. Period. Homosexual activity is on the list. It is not just lost when the law goes away. No, this is clear. This remains. This is very this part of the moral law. One of the reasons we see this is because we look back to the, the creation standard. He created Adam and Eve, and He brought them together. One man and one woman. That's what marriage is. Homosexual activity is an abomination to God. It's sinful. And we love our world by maintaining that message with love. Not just truth. Truth and love. It's loving to call people out of their sins. If they're drinking the poison of adultery, we call them out. If they're drinking the poison of homosexuality, we call them out. Come and live. There's no life there. It's a mirage in the desert. It'll leave you with a mouthful of sand. Don't dive for that mirage. Come walk in the light. And bestiality, which I, I, I fear as cultures who have preceded us spiral, this is inevitable. It turns into these things. And we may not be far off from this. I'll save it uh, for the sake of the kids from going any farther on that. But God makes clear these things. And He is loving us with truth and clarity. And it's, it's as clear in our day as it was back then, right? They needed to hear these things, and friends, so do we. So do we. Nothing new under the sun. Same Satan who tempted God's people back then is at work today. The witness of God's creation speaks to this, and praise God for the witness of His Word. Anybody, any Christian, any pastor who would like to suggest that homosexuality is not a problem in the Bible. It's not sinful. It's not carried that way. They are fools. 
And they are despising the word of God. And they are leading people astray. And they are giving license to sin that will lead people to the fires of hell. They do not love their congregations. And may the Lord judge them. How serious is sexual rebellion? It's going to get heavy. How serious is it? Is it a big deal? When people rebel sexually, it's a big deal. Let's skip ahead to chapter 20 when we'll cover these verses. Just listen to these verses as they unfold. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Moloch shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Moloch to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Moloch and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Moloch. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. If a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes a woman and her mother also, it is depravity. He and they shall be burned with fire, that there may be no depravity among you. If a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and lies with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father, or a daughter of his mother, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace, and they shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, and he shall bear his iniquity. If a man lies with a woman during her menstrual period, and uncovers her nakedness, he has made naked her fountain, and she has uncovered the fountain of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from among their people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister or of your father's sister, for that is to make naked one's relative. They shall bear their iniquity. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. Okay. Sometimes in our day, this word is just completely misunderstood. You go down to Seattle, 
I mean, really, if, if we just had a sense for this word, Seattle would change overnight. You do something that is against the law, there, there are consequences. And you will face those. And, and let's be clear. God loves us by giving consequences for breaking His law. It's not unloving to, to enforce a consequence. What's the point of the law if there's no consequence when you break it? The law is irrelevant and no one will care. So God is truly loving his people by saying, death is on the line. You sin against me in these various ways and you will be killed. Now, I mean, some of these things cause us to kind of pull back like, whoa, a son or daughter who curses his parents is to be killed? Praise God, we're in the new covenant. What does it tell us about how serious the fifth commandment is? Honor your father and mother, right? Children, obey your parents. Show respect and regard to your parents. It's not just because it's polite. God is saying it's a big deal to him. And it should be a big deal to us. Kids, listen close. It's a big deal. Show esteem and honor to your parents. Consequences are loving. They're loving. They're a gift from God that we should delight in and be instructed by. When the Scripture warns of consequence, you are being loved in that, not hated. <laughs> when you read or you hear from a police officer, if you do that again, there's a consequence. He's loving you with that. It's warning you, stop doing what you're doing. Hmm. In the face of all these things, we meet the wonder of redemption. Now, here's the thing. You will never celebrate the cross of Jesus Christ until you stare long and hard at how serious your sin is and how guilty we are in our rebellion. And then how right it is that God would kill us for our sins. Sin leads to death. Death is in this world because we are sinners, friends. That is God's justice in action. God kills people justly every day. It's one of the jobs that he has taken on as the sovereign. In the face of all these things, the wonder of redemption meets us. And praise God, we live on this side of the cross. We have, we have witness to hope in a way that the law would just crush us under. Listen to this verse from Corinthians. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, brothers and sisters. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You see what he's doing? 
He's echoing passages like this. He's reminding us how serious sin is. But those three little dots remind us that that's not the end of the story. Right? There's another slide. This is the beauty of the gospel. Look at how it meets all of us here today. And such were some of you. Oh, yes! Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. The only reason that we are not dead right now, rightly and justly under the wrath of God, is because of His grace. He restrains His wrath in grace. And that's a common restraint. It's over all His creation. But His special grace that meets us in the Gospel, that is life-changing grace. It's when He calls us to Christ and we acknowledge our sins and we say, you have every right to punish me, to take my life and to sentence me to the fires of hell. But I look to Jesus Christ, your offering in my place. I trust Him. Revelation 1 begins this, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins. How? Look at how the last book in your Bible sums up all of the focus on blood. By His blood. The blood of the atonement. The innocent lamb. All the blood of Leviticus points us to that. The blood of Jesus Christ. Which means there's hope for sinners like you and me. There's hope. This is the story of Good Shepherd Community. Such were some of you. Such were some of us, right? But we were washed. We were cleansed. Not to continue to live in sin. Not to just say, oh, great, I got fire insurance. I can live however I want. No, no. Come out from them and be holy. Be who you are in Jesus Christ. You've been set free. Set apart for holiness. Look at these last few verses. Set apart for holiness. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them that the land where I am bringing you uh, to, uh, to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I say to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey, I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. Why is the conquest not wrong? I'll tell you why. Because the nations that he was driving out in front of his people were sinful and had stored up the wrath that God poured out through the swords of those who conquered the land. Divine justice was accomplished even in the conquest. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or bird or anything with, the ground, uh, with which the ground crawls. I have set, uh, set apart for you uh, to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, uh, for I am the Lord, I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples 
that you be mine. A man or a woman who is a medium or necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Friends, we've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. We've been called out of the dark to walk in the light, to shine. There is no more satisfying way to live than to bask in the light of the sun. On rainy days around here, we love it when the sun peeks through the clouds and you just feel that warmth on your face. That's salvation. That's the joy of walking in Christ. The warmth on your face. The light of His freedom and forgiveness. So our response this morning. There's so many ways we can apply this in our lives. I just want to say this to all of us. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And behold, new has come. You are not who you were once you have met Jesus Christ. Don't live in condemnation. Live in freedom and joy. And once that has taken place, then I would just say this. The, the, the call is in Romans 12, do not conform anymore to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your minds. How do we do that? We understand what is good and pure and right and holy, and we embrace it. And we do it in the power that He has given us through His Spirit. So Good Shepherd Community Church, that is our mission this week. Stand out from the dark. I love how Kevin DeYoung said it. Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. So, friends, we should look kind of strange this week. You know what I'm saying? Blending in is really not an option for us anymore. We don't just kind of blend in. That's compromise. We stand out. Make righteousness look good. Point to God. Point the way of life and satisfaction like King David. In your right hand, O Lord, are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. O God, we thank You for the clarity of Your Word. We thank You that it never changes. We thank You that though we face the same enemy, the same temptations, there's nothing new under the sun, that we have this hope. This, this confidence, this blessing of Your Word. We thank You that You have given a way for sinners like me and all of us here to be forgiven. We thank You that we can say too, just like the Corinthians, such were some of us, but we were washed. Oh, Jesus, we give praise to You for what You have accomplished through Your shed blood that atoned for our sins and purchased for us the freedom to live lives of holiness in this dark world. Oh, Father, use us this week. Help us to stand out and to shine. In Jesus' name, amen.